Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Our Perspective to Therapist Moms and a Mic. I'm Claudia Glassman. And I'm Katie Truax. And as we mentioned at the end of our last episode, today we are diving into parenting styles. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is podcast number five for us, right? We started out with anxiety around parenting specifically. Then we segued into kind of like more of just a general primer on anxiety. Then we kind of talked about how that's related to these these concepts of perfectionism, right? Yeah. Both with and without parenting. And then last time we talked about kind of how that anxiety and perfectionism sometimes spins off of our own guilt and self-evaluation around how well we're doing comparatively speaking um, to our own beliefs about how we should be parenting based on our own experiences um, either for better or for worse from our own childhoods or the things we've learned and then we kind of just naturally stumbled into this concept of parenting styles last time so we thought we'd kind of pick up here today and talk about some of the more easily defined parenting styles and what those might look like. That's right. So I remember, I guess it was in child development classes, right? That's probably where we learned this in graduate school, right? And we talked about, or we learned about more specifically, um, your four basic styles, which I think are, you know, they're still around. um, And that has shifted kind of into these more specific ones, which we talked a little bit about in the last episode um, was like attachment parenting and kind of these more um, like these newer parenting identities that have kind of evolved over time. So let's kind of do like just a really brief primer, I guess, in the four basic styles that I feel like are kind of encompass some of these more specific ones. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, the first one we had was authoritative, right? So the, this is the parenting style where you're responsive to your child's needs. You're supportive of them. You nurture them, but you have firm limits. And so essentially it's this balance, right? Of boundaries and limits and love and support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we had the authoritarian, which is, this is kind of how I picture like old school, what we call old school parenting, but that kind of, uh, like because know, I, I, that's why, because I said, <laughs> so my children should fear me and respect me and just do mm-hmm. what I say. Right. The focus is on obedience and control of the child, right. Over building a relationship and comforting the child. So it's kind of this. <laughs> I always imagine this like super old school, you know, parent, like dad Mm -hmm. comes home and everyone's scared and running because he's like, you know, going to come in and consequence everyone. (laughs) That's how I imagine it. We saw this. We went to, um, we took a little mini vacation this past weekend and scooted away um, just one state over. And we um, did one day at an amusement park and this amusement park had a water park as part of it. And Um, I was observing a family and I was really like curious because the mom had a belt around her neck. And at first I thought that it was kind of like, oh shoot, we forgot to take your belt off. Uh, Here, just grab it to me before you get in the 
water park, right? Or water slide or whatever. But then I was like looking around the kids, none of them had belt loops. They all had like regular swim, swim trunks on. Then I, you know, was kind of observing people. It's a great place to people watch, you know, and you're kind of noticing what people are doing and, you know, her facial expressions and the way she interacted with the children. And I, I guess the dad was there too. And it became apparent to me pretty quickly that it was there as a threat to the children. She and a reminder, wears the belt all the, belt the time. Around, it was around her neck, like hung, like um, <clears throat> like somebody would hang like a camera strap, or you know, like it was yeah. like around the back of her neck. And it was a reminder of the impending punishment that would come should they get out of line. Oh, that's intense. Oh, that's, like, that's a good example of authoritarianism. <laughs> yeah, that's that one. Wow, <laughs> that's super mm-hmm. all committed and intense. Yeah. Um, so the polar opposite of that is permissive and or indulgent, right? That's kind of like you love your kids a lot, but you have no rules, no boundaries, no limits. Um, really just, I guess, behaviorally, the kids kind of can do what they want, right? Um, kind of akin to being more of your child's friend, less of a parent. Um, and then we were talking briefly about this one before we came on uninvolved. I mean, and that's essentially neglectful, right? Like there's no parenting happening. There's no response to their children, maybe even rejecting their children. Um, and kids are kind of left on their own to raise themselves and fulfill their own needs. That's kind of like, I think what you and I see, you know, when we're looking at, you know, neglect and severe neglect in children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think it's important to note that some of this can be because people have intentionally made decisions about values and beliefs. I think some of this can come because of circumstances and situation, whether that is busyness or um, lack of resources or even an over an abundance of resources or um, <clears throat> being stretched too thin mentally or emotionally, right? right. Um, we get robbed sometimes of our choice or our ability to either, you know, figure out what we believe in and act accordingly when we're under pressure, right? When we feel like we have to do certain things, um, we might have to, or we might default to what might not be our ideal parenting style, right? So some of this comes out of truly like, this is how I believe children should be raised. And some of this sometimes is just a, a sign of our circumstances, if that makes sense. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you have these distinct four, you know, styles, but I would argue that people move in between them. There Mm -hmm. are certain areas when which someone might be super permissive, right? Or times when they might be permissive. And then there's times when they're authoritative. And then there's times when they're just like an authoritarian because they've hit the wall, right? Or they've gotten to their limit or whatnot. So they don't all, they, they sound like they stand alone, but I feel like people can move in and out of them as well in any given moment. I definitely think I do. I mean, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Somebody once told me there was this like slogan of the school that's around where we live. And it's, um, it's a Montessori school. And the slogan is a hard line with a lot of love. And I, they said, Katie, I think that that's how you parent. And I said, oh yeah, I like that so much. And I remember early on, somebody insinuated that I needed to tell my daughter no more. And I thought, well, you know what? I actually believe, right, with my brain and my education and my experience that I would like to tell her yes, as much as possible, 
Mm -hmm. But then when it's a no, it's a hard no. And it's a, you know, not negotiable if it's a no, because I'm your mother and I said no, right? And I will usually explain why it's a no. And it's usually a no because of safety reasons or a health reason, right? Yeah. Or because of external circumstances, like I have to be at the office in 10 minutes. You have to get in the car now. This isn't negotiable. Right, <laughs> right. right. But um, that's definitely, I think, and, an, you know, okay, maybe I, if I were going to have a median, it would be in the authoritative, right? But then, yeah, like, sure, I like to say yes, and that's more permissive. But then there are times when I'm the boss, and it's a no, and that's more authoritarian, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's you know, I look at my parenting, there's things that I don't, I don't want to say don't care about, but I'm less passionate about, right? I have less of a a hard stance on certain things. And then there's other things I have a very hard stance on, right? And it's like, if my kids bump up against one of those things that I have a harder stance on, um, they're going to get a a harsher response maybe, right? However, I think, you know, in general, I mean, in my house, there's always room for conversation, even if the conversation does not change the outcome. And most of the time for my kids, it doesn't. Um, but you can tell me how you feel about it. And then I'm going to still say, well, I get it, but no. Right. Um, yeah. So as you know, life's kind of progressed and parenting's progressed, we have these other kind of styles that have popped up and we talked a little bit about attachment parenting last time. Uh, I think we scraped the surface of it. Um, and these, I, I kind of feel like these can fit into those other four categories, you know, but I know, you know, listeners hear these terms. So I figured we'd kind of dive into it. So attachment parenting is really focusing on that attachment piece with our children, right? So this nurturing, creating a strong connection between the parent and the child with the goals of kind of raising a confident, mentally healthy, independent, empathetic, you know, happy adult eventually. Um, and then you see these come up a lot. I think it's interesting because I hear attachment parenting spoken a lot about in littles, right? Mm-hmm. It comes up a lot when it, we're talking about breastfeeding and extended breastfeeding or co-sleeping and um, baby wearing and kind of all these nurturing things that we do when they're little. It kind of, I don't know if I hear a lot of, um, if I hear a lot about it from people that have older children, although clearly it's still there, it's, it's, it exists, right? But it seems to be a focus on the younger years. Um, well, yeah, and I think that there's a reason for that. I mean, and this is just my perspective, but I think that, so my understanding of attachment, right? And, and I'm kind of a brain geek. I actually almost decided to do neurobiology. I don't know if you know, knew that about me rather than actually practice clinically as a therapist. But then I learned that like, I'd have to work on mice. And so that's, that was like a deal breaker for me. So here I am, Um, (laughs) but I love love the brain and my, my like earliest area of specialization as a clinician was in trauma. And there's so much really cool, interesting stuff that happens in the brain. Um, I really loved learning a lot about those processes and trauma and then anxiety disorders and, and that and attachment disorders are all very kind of um, cousins to one another. Right. And so attachment is a, a neurobiological process that happens and you're much more up on the research than I am, but the last 
statistic I heard was that attachment was formed between zero and three. And so by three, we had the, the child had has developed a primary attachment style. And that basically it's a series of neural connections in the brain that kind of lives mostly in the limbic system, which is our animal brain, that is an answer to the big picture question of, are my needs going to be met? When I call, will somebody answer? If I fall, will somebody catch me? Another way I've heard this put is, is the world a safe place, right? Are relationships safe? Can I trust myself and can I trust other people? And that there's a series of opportunities for these questions to be asked, obviously not verbally, but through circumstances, right? Between zero and three. And by three, like the jury's kind of made their decision in there. You know, it's like a yes or a no, right? Or a sometimes. So if it's a yes, we have a secure attachment style. If it's a no, we have um, an anxious or an avoidant attachment style. And if it's a sometimes, we have an anxious avoidant, right? Or a combination or disorganized attachment style where sometimes it's one way or sometimes it's another, or sometimes it feels like there's a lot of internal conflict around attachment. Yeah. But that might be part of why we don't hear as much about intentionally being attachment focused as those the years progress, right? Because if it is true that that has solidified by three, it's kind of like if we've done our job well, a securely attached child doesn't need to continue asking those questions. It's only if we need to do some corrective work that we would really have to be diligent and conscious, of, conscious about revisiting that as kids move into the older ages. Yes. Yes. I agree with you. I, I think that's where the focus is just developmentally. Those younger years are more formative, make more sense. And from an attachment perspective and those like formative first, you know, few years where the attachment style and that feeling of safety comes from, mm -hmm. um, knowing that, that that's the critical component and the critical time frame. that's kind of where that emphasis is. However, I would argue that attachment injuries can happen mm -hmm. past that point. And mm -hmm. there are things that can happen. Um, that can can throw someone for a loop even though they had a specific attachment style now you know some of those things can be kind of like traumas but traumas happen in a lot of different ways right sometimes it's just life losing a parent for example right, right? um so i i would argue that we are not <laughs> safe from attachment injuries Mm -hmm. even though we're older, but I think the focus of attachment parenting shifts, right? The focus always remains on the connection and the relationship with the child. You know, my kids are obviously past this like three years old phase, but even now, I mean, when I parent, I parent from the perspective kind of like this overarching thing of what do I want my children to be like as adults, right? And what do I want my relationship to look like with them? And so I think attachment parenting kind of morphs into this like parenting within the relationship concept. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think there's another category for that. So I would argue it kind of just kind of morphs, but continues, right? Focus less on basic needs and the initial attachment connection. And then it shifts into maintaining that relationship. Yeah. So it becomes open communication, conversations, validating feelings, set it, you write like 
setting limits, but not doing it in like a punitive, aggressive way, right? And it, it looks a little different. I know we kind of, this came up last time and um, I know I hear it from people um, and I'm sure you do too, that sometimes they feel like attachment parenting is permissive parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a lack of limits or a lack of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of that comes from um, those first three years, right? Because what those look like is in order for our children to feel safe, we respond to their cries, right? So if they're hungry, we feed them. If they need to be held, we hold them, right? Mm -hmm. We feed into all of the needs. We meet all of the needs of this little person so that they learn someone's there for them, the world's safe. And I think people kind of take that out of the first three years and assume that then that's always the case. That anytime your child wants something, you meet that, well, but let me pause you there for a second because you just shifted your word and this might be the differential factor here, right? As a, as the baby, we meet the need. That's right. Right? And I bet you or I would say, well, even if our eight, nine, 10 year olds had a need or my 23 year old had a need, I would meet the need. Correct. Right? But the needs diminish as the age progresses. And so do we meet all their wants? Hell no. <laughs> Right, right. But you meet their needs, yeah. Right, and that would be more of like the, that permissive parenting style of like just giving in to every whim or want from the child. And that's not what attachment parenting is supposed to be as we like work towards, you know, growing our children, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and we stay focused on the need, but it doesn't mean giving in to every want. That's right. And it's identifying the need in the mess. And this is what I work a lot with, you know, whether I'm working with kids or I'm doing parenting support is we get like bogged down in a child's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. They're whining, they're doing this. And it's like, okay, but what's the need under that? Mm -hmm. And so, right, you have the behavior that you're annoyed with and trying to change, like what's the need? Mm -hmm. Because the needs are always valid. I mean, I, as a full grown adult capable of managing myself need attention. I do, right? I need connection. I need love. I need affection. I need like, so sometimes we get like, oh, the kid's so needy, right? Mm -hmm. They need to hug again. Like, yeah, they need to, right? And and so a lot of attachment parenting is understanding that your child, preteen, teenager, partner, right? Whoever has needs and that you're willing to meet those within the relationship. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you meet every want, desire, Mm -hmm. or demand. That's right. And that's right. so key. I think that's so key, right? And maybe that maybe it could just be that simple of paying attention to the need, but not giving in to every want, desire, demand, right? Particularly if we if it either <clears throat> is contrary to what they need, right? Like, I mean, our kids probably are at these phases where they want to stay up really late, right? But I know for my kid, that's usually not what she needs. My child needs a lot of sleep. And so our one of the tasks that we're negotiating now is bedtime, right? Around, okay, it's legitimate that you want to stay up later. And she looks around and sees a lot of her friends staying up later and everybody's body is different. And my body is a body that needs a lot of sleep. So she gets it on a sleep too from me. And my kid's always been the kid where she doesn't sleep in. Like if she doesn't like go to bed 
at her normal time if she goes to bed later then she just wakes up at the same time she's just like a mess the next day you know and so if she wants to stay up later then okay balancing the want and the need right what you need to sleep because your body needs to rest you need to heal you need to recuperate you need to be prepared for tomorrow so we have a good day tomorrow and finding that balance right that's that authoritative excuse yeah i always get those two mixed up with (laughs) right that that negotiation and you know with kids our kids ages we can have those conversations right and sometimes that might look like with a, with a younger kid what might feel like more authoritarian of saying no it's bedtime we're not negotiating this go to bed right yeah. at three or four or five or six where we know that we're still meeting their need and so therein it is attachment parenting that could look like anything along that you know permissive authoritarian authoritative spectrum, if you will, which is kind of interesting. Right. And I I think it's, again, approaching your child as though they are a whole human, which they are, but we often don't treat children that way, right? This approach of like, they have thoughts, feelings, just like opinions, right? And so sometimes kind of what's thrown in there more than maybe in the other parenting styles is like a validation of feelings. But again, that doesn't mean you give into them. It would be so much fun to stay up later, but our bodies need rest and it's bedtime. You didn't change the bedtime. You just let them know that, yeah, sometimes going to bed early sucks and I get it, but you're still going to do it. Right. Right. And so it, it, it frustrates me a little when I hear that, that people view it as really permissive. And again, how these are all executed, you know, varies greatly. Um, it really ends up being like a hodgepodge of parenting styles, but it does frustrate me because um, I think executed well and with limits and boundaries, you can set limits calmly, mm-hmm. right? You can set yeah. limits, um, strong limits without being punitive, mean, and shaming, mm-hmm. but there's a nuance to it. And I know last time we talked a little bit about, and, and this is where I think my clients get a little, um, you know, cause I actually do a lot of work with parents on like, what is your philosophy of parenting and let's sort it out. Because what I have noticed is when we don't know for ourselves how to verbalize what, why we're doing what we're doing, it's hard to stay the course. And it's really hard when you get feedback from everyone, right? Like you got the feedback from people, you should say no more, right? But you can say, well, this is why I'm doing X, Y, and Z, right? right? This is my belief. This is my, I, this is how I want to do it. This is why I'm doing this. Um, but I know I work a lot with clients about sorting out what makes sense to them, right? Based on their own experiences. And sometimes it's, well, as a child, I felt like I was always bad and mm-hmm. I don't want my kid to feel that way. And then the work is okay. So that's something that's important to you to not have your child feel that pain that you had, that something was always wrong with you, right? You were always too much this or too much that or naughty or not listening or whatever the verbiage was, right? Um, How do you do that but still set limits, right? Because the the challenge is, do you then become too permissive because you never want them to feel that way, but you don't know how to execute, execute limits in a way that won't elicit that feeling? Totally. Right. And so, I mean, it's super nuanced, but I don't know. I feel like my parents just parented like, (laughs) I mean, some of us, like we have a lot more information 
There's obviously been a lot more research in recent years on parenting styles and honestly, even just on attachment in general, right? And, and brain development and children has been studied more. Um, maybe we have too much information, I don't know, but I feel like there's definitely trends in parenting, right? That shift over time. Um, so what do you think now? Cause you know, I mean, admittedly my information is, is outdated, right? I mean, I was trained in the three models of parent education that I was trained to teach, gosh, 12, 15 years ago, right? So talk about research, right? What's new? I mean, you know, you hear these things about helicopter parenting and attachment parenting, and um, I don't know what else is out there because I tend to be somewhat disconnected from pop culture and from research. I don't know what that says about me, but um, <laughs> I live in my little bubble. But like, what is, what are the trends, Claudia? What are you seeing in your clients? What are you seeing in the research? Yeah, I mean, I think helicopter parenting is a real thing. I don't know if that's a complete parenting philosophy or more of a hmm, uh, behavior of parents. That's a trend, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that we're going to hyper focus on everything about our child and um, orchestrate, navigate, and control like all aspects um, closely, right? We're monitoring that closely, kind of not giving them freedom to be necessarily, but again, with the best intention. I think that comes from anxiety, right? This idea of if they're out there on their own, are they safe, right? And this- even In the home, right? I mean, I've seen like, oh, don't run. Oh, you can fall, oh, be careful. Like, right. oh, no, like- That's right. Teach your two-year-old that like, they should be careful like to that degree, like walking down the hall, is that something that we need to really be scared of, you know, and these early messages that you give, but yeah. you know, this is a piece too, though, I think, and I've seen this in my own household. Um, I think that helicopter parenting can come out of a love language, which is really mm. an interesting thing because yeah. my husband helicopter parents and um, we joke and we sometimes can joke with him more than others because sometimes it can be sensitive for him. But we even have like, we'll say like, <laughs> but for him, he is, he's a doctor and he's such a nurturer, like he through and through, he's a, a caregiver and he does not have anxiety. He's actually probably one of the most like even keeled, like laid back, relaxed humans on the planet. Um, <clears throat> but he, his love language is acts of service. So you take this like true like tried and true doctor nurturer who truly one day he told me he'd done a personality test that told you what kind of animal you would be and it came back that he was a golden retriever because all he really wanted to do was like just lay at your feet and make you happy <laughs> I can see it I can see it yeah you know my husband well so yeah. like that's his personality and then his love language is acts of service like doing things for other people is what makes him feel like he is showing love and yeah. so what that looks like is him doing things for his family right and so for ellie who's a very fierce independent strong-willed leo redhead who has a lot of fire like her mama sometimes that like feels like an affront to her right and we've had to work on like teaching her how to like use her words to say like, daddy, I was doing that or daddy, I can do it myself. Or I, I, I don't need your help right now, daddy. Or like, I got this. She'll say her first yeah. phrase is actually, I got this at two years old. That's and it's still a very common phrase in our household. Right. And, um, 
because he just very naturally wants to do four as a way of showing love, right? So I think it's both. I really, I see it a lot as a manifestation of fear and anxiety, whether it's because, you know, going back to our podcast last time, right? Like we grew up in a, in a scary situation ourselves and don't want our children to get hurt, right? Whether it's trauma or tragedy or abuse, or we're just maybe predisposed to anxiety and God knows our environment these days. I had a client tell me just this morning or this afternoon that, you know, the stuff that's happening in the media right now is really starting to affect their comfort level. And I had somebody tell me last week, they're afraid to even take their child to Publix, you know, because of some of the things that are in the news right now. And, you know, so that anxiety can come from lots of places. And then I think the helicopter parenting sometimes can just come from good old genuine, maybe over nurturing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like just a deep care, right. For wanting the best for your child. And I think, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the problem is when it becomes, when the child is debilitated by your hovering, you know, I also think like, I, you know, I think I was just, someone just posted something about, um, they do like college counseling, uh, for like applications and stuff. Like they'll help with essay writing and test prep and all this stuff. And their whole thing was, you know, because the college application process isn't what it used to be. And I was talking to friends about this this weekend, and I am not a great standardized test taker. And I'm a highly competitive person, apparently, unless it comes to test taking, because I kind of took my SATs and took my, was it the GMATs for grad school? Yeah. Um, And I got what I got and I applied to school and was like, they take me or they don't. Thank goodness they took me. (laughs) But my test scores are garbage. Okay. Um, and, and we were talking about the college process and how things are so different and how you start junior year and you better have all these conversations. And so like, I was acutely aware of the pressures that parents start to feel trying to just give their kids, I don't know what I felt like was a chance, right? Like for, for the next step in life. And so I think that also compounds to us orchestrating for them right? Like starting at seven, like what college are they going to go to and what school should we enroll them in and what activities should we do? Because apparently like you now have to orchestrate your uh, pre-college resume to make you stand out and all of this other stuff. And I think some of it comes from us hearing those messages or maybe those realities. I don't know. I'm not there yet. And then saying, well, what can we do to help our kids so that they can fulfill their dreams, mm-hmm. right? But it starts, it's easy to kind of, it's a slippery slope. You start going down and all of a sudden you're orchestrating every aspect of your kid's life with the best intentions. Yeah, right. And obviously, I mean, if you, as you guys are listening, like we don't have the answers to this, you guys. I think like a lot of it is about intentionality, you know? And I remember even when our kids were younger, we would have these conversations around <clears throat> watching them and watching how they're developing and knowing that, every child has a different innate way of that they arrive into the world, right? Before you have any opportunity to screw them up, you know? And that some of that is, well, that's, I guess at that point, it's all their genetics. And then, you know, ideally we did an okay job of carrying them in utero, right? As far as our nutrition and our managing our stress levels and all that kind of a jam, right? And then they show up in this world and then we just pay attention and see, how are they doing, right? Is he or she 
too much of a certain thing or too little of another thing, right? And and I remember maybe we had more time when we were when they were younger and we were more intentional about asking each other about these things or maybe we're just busier now. We don't have as many of these conversations with each other. But I remember, you know, like, okay, well, independence. Is she independent enough, right? Which is a sign of secure attachment. But does she know that we're here when she needs us? And, oh, is she is she um, opinionated enough, but also kind to other people, right? Is she um, cautious and wise, but not afraid of her world, right? <laughs> is she self-sufficient, but able to ask for help when needed, right? And finding these balances within our kids and then knowing if there's something that seems to be a little bit out of whack, well, what can we do to encourage bringing that back to center, right? Whether it's giving a little more of something or giving a little less of something. And I, and I think that that can be so valid even as kids age. And as they age, we have less control and less control and less control. But watching to see, you know, how much do I intervene? How much do I influence? How much do I, you know, stay out of things, right? And let them experience their own worlds. And again, we can tie that back into that spectrum of permissive, authoritative, authoritarian, right? Yeah. As they get older. Yeah. I mean, and you know, that balance is kind of what we strive for and probably have to continuously calibrate to try to meet, right? Because again, we're human with our own stuff. We don't want our kids to experience certain things. No one wants their child hurt, sad, angry. You know, the mama bear in me comes out too, where I would love to fight a fight for my kid. And I think it's coming back to what, what I find helpful is to always step back and say, what kind of adult do I want my kid to be? What kind of relationship do I want to have with my children? And in kind of looking past today's drama or today's conflict or today's parenting issue of the very moment, right? How do I get there? Yeah. Right. And that looks different. How people answer that question is very different for everyone, right? The, the, the goals I have for my children are pretty basic. Like don't be a jerk, be independent mm -hmm. and hold your own in life. Kind of my, you know, like basic goals. Um, but someone else may have very different goals for their children. Right. And so I kind of try to always keep that in mind or check myself against that. Because if I want an independent child, I need to let them practice independence in my home. What that looks like on any given day is different, but it helps me keep into check when I'm reacting just out of anxiety or when I'm reacting out of control or I'm when I'm reacting because I feel like that's what I should be doing because you know, you and I do this for a living in, in terms of working with clients that obviously were children at one point and had their own experiences growing up. I work with parents, but I'm not immune to feeling pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, when Kenzie had a raging meltdown in the middle of Target and people are staring at me, I was like, oh my God, what do people think right now? Right. And then I was like, I don't care, but I do, but I don't, but oh my God, are they judging me? I feel it too. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I have to check myself against standards too. So when I hear someone say, you should say no to your kids more often for a brief second, I'm like, do I need to, mm -hmm. right? And then I have to bring it back to what's my vision and what's important to me and what works for me and what works for my kids and kind of bring it back to my little bubble mm -hmm. because it's, it's hard to navigate. It is. And, you know, I, I think from a mental health perspective, <laughs> you know, you look at these four styles and the authoritarian Yes, 
is, see, I get them mixed up too. Uh, authoritative style, right? Where you're balanced with meeting their needs, offering nurture and providing boundaries. You did get it mixed up. That's authoritative. Authoritative, correct. <laughs> um, right, is, is the quote unquote ideal. But again, I think we're all a little bit of a hodgepodge of everything. You catch me when I'm stressed out and my limits have been max. I might lean and dip a little bit into a different temperament, right? Yep. Um, but I do, I think it's about, you know, really kind of making sure you're focusing on the things that are important to you and the goals that are important to you. And then everything kind of starts to fall into place. I feel that's kind of the best way to approach it. And making sure that those goals and the goals and the values are not, are coming from your highest self, right? From a self that is somewhat healed and evolved from any past childhood traumas or tragedies that you might have gone through so that we're not reacting out of avoidance or a fight or flight or freeze mentality. Yeah. And that we're not parenting being triggered, but that we're actually coming up with those values and those systems from a grounded centered place. And, and that's sometimes where working with a therapist can be helpful as we can therapists get to know like our clients and we know their past and we know their profiles and we can listen out for those little red flags that say, mm, I think that might've been because your mom did it too much this other way. And that felt really bad to you. Yeah. Right. And is this truly in your highest good? Is this truly in the highest good of your children to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And is it truly what you in your gut believe your children need and believe you should be doing? Or is it just in response to not doing it this way? Yep. And I don't know what else, what other way to do it. So I'm going to, you know, do the opposite. Yep. Yeah. I really don't think my parents thought this much about parenting. No. No, like, I think they just, you know, threw some spaghetti on the wall and so it's stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And here's the reality. In the end, we're all going to mess up at some point. We're all going to, you know, not parent the way we imagined in our minds. We're all going to mess up and our kids will be okay. Yep. And they will, you know, have conversations about... <laughs> that with their friends. But, you know, I I think it's, you know, giving yourself some grace that you're learning in this journey, just as much as your kids are learning in theirs. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe that's what we can come back to is this idea of like, well, how do we know, right? How do we know when we screw up, are our kids going to be okay? Right. And, and how do we make sure that that's the case? Ooh, would that be, is that a deep topic? That's a loaded topic, (laughs) but I do think it would be fun. Well, I think it'd be fun. Maybe everyone else is like, not fun. I don't know. (laughs) But really, maybe we can kind of dive into, um, yeah, our own stuff as adults and, and Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, the, the beginnings of some of those things, right. Which we kind of alluded to here is we do parent sometimes in opposition to what we experienced. Sometimes we parent in alignment with what we experienced, right. But we all kind of, and you know, I talk to clients a lot about their experiences as a child, because it does impact your parenting. Um, you know, those hurts we have as a kid, which none of us escape childhood without any hurts because mm-hmm. we're human and our parents are human. Um, but how do those play a role in our adult relationships and our parenting? Right. Oh, that'd be, that'd be interesting to me. Everyone else yeah. is like, nope. <laughs> 
Adult attachment styles, maybe. Oh, that'd be fun. Reactions. Yeah. Okay, well, let's pause for today because I think I have a delightful couple in my waiting room that I'm supposed to go see. You know what I love real quick? I love that you end this the way you end therapy sessions. I always feel like I'm about to end a therapy session. (laughs) Let's pause here and next time we'll talk about... I know. Once a therapist, you always get when you work with Katie. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, guys. All right. Well, until next time, everyone. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.